0: The economy, regardless of political party, nobody wants it to crash, and we all want it to be strong. But there's a lot of turmoil going on in our country right now, if not economic, political. Protests against the ban on refugees and people now from six Muslim-majority countries— President Trump's unsubstantiated accusations of Barack Obama wiretapping his phone, investigations of Russian intermeddling in the U.S. elections, and today's House vote on repealing the Affordable Care Act with the president's ultimatum. We are told the economy relies on consumer confidence. But what does that mean? And what does all this turmoil mean for consumer confidence? We have on the phone Thomas Coe, Associate Professor and Chair of the Finance Department at Quinnipiac University. Hello, Professor Coe. Thank you for joining Law Life and Culture.
1: Thanks for having me, Yeah, I'm glad to be here.
0: First off, in addressing my introductory remarks, what is consumer confidence when people talk about the economy?
1: Well, consumer confidence is basically going to be a number that is gauging survey results. And that number is really being gauged by the direction that it's taking from any previous time period that we're looking at.
0: So you hear and read that consumer confidence is what boosts the market, meaning bumps up the value of stocks and generates conditions where people spend money, buy houses, cars, and other consumer goods. So that makes for a strong economy. Is that an accurate description?
1: That would be a very accurate a description for what uh, people would be investing in stocks for and the types of stocks that they would be looking at at a certain point of time because many stocks are excuse me many stocks are cyclical and w- which means that if the consumer confidence which is measuring what people are willing to be buying in the upcoming period in the upcoming year, the upcoming month, if that also is cyclical, then people can make their predictions of where the stocks are going and from that the stock market.
0: Okay. But how does this concept of consumer confidence relate to how individuals feel about the economy who don't get those surveys? For example, I own stock, but they're in mutual funds or other investment vehicles. So I'm not actively choosing stocks to buy or sell, and it's up to a fund manager or an index fund. But how is my voice or feelings or confidence or lack thereof and people similarly situated to me reflected in what drives the economy?
1: That is one of the pitfalls of having a survey. And even though this is a uh, very popular survey, it's uh, conducted by the University of Michigan, and it's been uh, ongoing uh, since the early 1950s. So it's widely followed and it's uh, you know somewhat recognized as the gauge of consumer confidence, it's only representing about 500 people that are interviewed each and every month. So 500 out of the whole population, even of adults, who are making the decisions uh, for each household. But it is a survey, and it is a survey that is going to be watched by uh, mutual fund managers and other investors, uh, institutional investors in particular, because yes, for uh, people who do own mutual funds, Uh, They are the ones who are investing on behalf of the uh, mutual fund itself. So they also want to be making good investment decisions. They also are going to be uh, doing the same thing an individual does, and that is hopefully buying low and selling high and taking advantage of the information that's seen in the Consumer Confidence Index.
0: Okay. Can you tell us the name again of that survey, just in case people want to Google it and find out more information about it?
1: Yes. It's uh, the University of Michigan. And they do a United States Consumer Sentiment Index, and it's uh, based on a survey. They also do a survey uh, now of many other countries. Okay. And so you can get a sense of uh, the consumer confidence and what drives those marketplaces. And it is up for some, it's down for others.
0: Okay. So does consumer confidence affect not only the stocks, but also the job market, looking at the numbers of people employed?
1: Correct. The uh, You would think that there'd be a great tie-in and that employers and manufacturers and retailers, they would be also gauging what they're doing based strictly on the consumer confidence because if I'm confident that I'll be buying a house, if I'm confident that I'll be buying a car, a refrigerator, or a shirt, I would be wanting to make sure that you know, I have those uh, materials, those items ready to be uh, taken off the shelf when the consumer comes in.
0: Yeah, sure. So
1: you would think there'd be a very good tie-in, but often it's the proof is in the pudding. So I don't want to, you know, make that inventory investment for my store. I don't want to be hiring for my factory until I actually see the results. I want to see people in the showroom. I want to see people in the store buying those goods that I've already put in the showroom and on the store.
0: Okay. Now, there are different indices to watch, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the S&P or Standard & Poor's, and the NASDAQ. Can you discuss their differences and whether they will all basically reflect the same direction regarding the strengths or troubles in the economy?
1: For the most part, uh, whether it's going to be the Dow 30, which by definition is limited to 30 companies, the S&P 500, Uh, The Russell 2000, which is a broader and broader index, uh, they are pretty much going to be very highly correlated, which means that they, if they are perfectly correlated, it'd be like a train track where the two rails are going to be going in the same direction at the same time, right? So you'd be having a parallel path. If they're highly correlated, that means that they're pretty much going in the same direction at the same time, but one's going to be a little off from the other. You don't want that on a train because it's going to derail of the train, but you do want to see that with enough of similar items that you don't have to go and precisely uh, think that you're missing something. Okay. So the Dow 30 is going to be close enough to a broader index, uh, most people nowadays uh, consider the S&P 500 as the uh, litmus test because it's getting enough of the large companies, uh, which still drive a lot of American economic activity. And there are members of the uh, uh, S&P 500 that you know are reflecting all aspects of the economy. So they're getting a broad enough sense of where the economy is heading by looking at the S&P 500 as a market.
0: Index. Okay. Now, I've read that investors felt President Trump was going to slash regulations on businesses, the environment, consumer protections on banking. And this could have buoyed the market as investors felt corporations would accrue greater profits. So a prediction of a pro-business environment drove up the value of stocks and corporations. Is that accurate? Or can you explain that notion?
1: Again, a lot of this, just like with consumer sentiment, we're looking now to buy into stocks that would be best affected if the regulatory uh, burden was going to be lifted. So, imagine if uh, all taxes were uh, decreased from their statutory 35% down to 0%. It's not going to happen, but imagine what the profits would be, and hence the uh, potential dividends, would be for shareholders. So they'd like to have those types of companies. So the less regulations, the less taxation, the more revenues, those all going to filter eventually, and at various degrees, to the shareholders of all the companies. So where uh, those industries, those companies within the industries are most regulated, And there's they're going to have the biggest, quote, unquote, Trump bump that they would have been immediately impacted on the positive side by the prospect of what could be happening to their bottom line. Uh, Those uh, industries, those firms within the industries that have less regulatory uh, hurdles, those aren't going to be impacted as much. So you wouldn't expect to see that when it does happen. Okay. so a lot of uh, buying is done on the rumor or on the expectation or on the confidence of that. There's going to be positive results, that there's going to be positive legislation towards easing the regulatory burden.
0: And I've also read that the Obama administration left an incredibly strong economy, especially compared to what he inherited when he took office in January 2009. There were 75 months of consecutive job growth with unemployment hovering below 5%. And with the stock market, Matthew Heimer, in January 2017, in Fortune magazine reported that U.S. stock rose an average of 12% a year during Obama's two terms, according to the S&P Global, and that Obama ranks third among 12 men who served president since World War II based on the S&P 500. Can you comment on whether some of the current state of the market results from President Obama's legacy?
1: I definitely believe that they do, because again, just as consumer confidence doesn't give an endpoint. Right? Its movement, its changes, do kind of give an indication of where we were versus where we think we're going to be. So, a good indication of that, uh, looking backwards. And you mentioned the uh, uh, start of his administration. Mm-hmm. The consumer confidence index back in 2008 was hovering about 55. Um, and right now, for March of 2017, the number is 97.6. So has that's consumer quite confidence doubled overall over that time period? Probably not. But again, it's the measurement that we would be looking at. But it is much stronger now. And that's going to continue on. It's not going to fall back down to the levels that we saw back in 2008. So what brought Professor Uh, President Obama into office has probably uh, been sustained, and a lot of that is going to be sustained into a real Trump administration. It's only been uh, two months plus since he was inaugurated. Uh, It's only been since November that he was elected. So to what extent anything that President Trump uh, has done so far is impacting the market remains to be seen in actual terms. Uh, Most of it is still based on... um, the confidence and what it could represent at some future date.
0: Okay. Now, with strong perfection, um, with strong protectionism policies that President Trump promotes, emphasizing buying American and America first, how does that generally affect the market, both in terms of stock uh, values and the job market?
1: It's going to affect the market in the extent that it's going to affect the various firms, uh, which are again on different sides of the protectionism uh, uh, argument. Uh, there's going to be the firms that are retailing uh, by nature and they're not going to be really uh, in favor of much protectionism because much of the things that we sell in our stores nowadays are going to be imported. Sure. So if we either restrict the number of imports, or if we are going to tax those imports, it's going to have an impact on the customers and the end user, the consumers in America. Okay. The manufacturers who export, they're going to be to the extent that uh, there's not going to be any uh, reprival uh, on other countries. They're going to be in favor of that uh, protectionism.
0: Okay. because
1: they can, they're can, they not going to be affected directly and they're going to be uh, more at an advantage uh, overseas when they're trying to sell their goods.
0: Okay, so going back a few weeks, news reports such as CNN Money on March 1st reported the Dow Jones soared over 300 points, closing above 21,000 following Trump's first speech to Congress. Can you explain the Dow Jones Indus what hitting 20,000 means, and how this was related to Trump's speech to Congress.
1: Well, I remember uh, doing a uh, another interview about that exact topic. And, you know, the 20,000 pretty much represents, you know, a target on the wall. And it's always one of those things that no, we will never see it. Uh, when we were looking, especially back in 2008, uh, when we were about a uh Dow of about 6,500. And so 20,000 seemed to be like a, an impossible goal at the time. But again, with the uh, changes that have been made in the economy, with the uh, rebound in the economy overall, uh, both domestically as well as internationally, we're seeing that, you know, again, the companies that are part of that are uh, being spurred on with their valuations and they being part of the Dow, the valuations have gone up tremendously.
0: Um, Was this
1: uniform? No.
0: Was this related? like anything
1: else, the unemployment rate is not uniform across the country. Consumer confidence is not going to be uniform from house to house. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the companies that are best affected by the rebound in the economy, that also is not going to be uniform. But again, it's the general sentiment of where the market has headed and the fact that there's been no uh, contradiction in the president's uh, speech. Okay. That would make people think that there's going to be any reversal of policy, a reversal of course that's okay. going to change what the outlook is and what the plan is. That would spur the Dow itself from a 20,000 level to a 21,000 level.
0: Okay, so those uh, the 21,000 level figure was not necessarily directly correlated to Trump's speech to Congress.
1: No, not itself, because okay. that was usually... People are going to buy in before a speech, before an event. The speech itself is going to confirm it, or it's going to somewhat contradict that uh, sentiment that was leading up to it. So the momentum was already there. The momentum to go from 20,000 to 21,000 was already there.
0: Okay. Something else I didn't quite understand was in USA Today on January 21st, More it was reported that more than two million people around the world protested against Donald Trump's policies and positions. And these protests were certainly not an endorsement of Trump's policies. And how was this political disapproval not reflected in economic disapproval of the market in some way?
1: Well, in one regard, you can say because most of those were on a Saturday, if I recall. Yeah. Uh, The markets weren't open on Saturday, so no one would be able to directly tie what they saw with how that's going to impact their consumer confidence until the following Monday. The fact that the protests were known, people probably factored those in, and it for the most part was a non-issue overall. Yes, you are protesting, and that's all good, and that's going to be reflecting some sentiment, but it's not going to be a strong enough protest that's going to cause the general population, the general investment community, to change their outlook of where they believe markets are headed or individual companies are heading within the upcoming economy.
0: Well, one thing we all approve of is that WNHH 103.5 FM is the best source for New Haven news talk and opinions and more. And you are listening to Law, Life and Culture with our guest, Professor Thomas Coe in the Finance Department at Quinnipiac University. So Professor Coe, Gary Cohen, who is the head of Trump's National Economic Council, said some things that I think uh, mirror what you were saying in our conversation earlier, and that there was no reason to credit Trump for the strong report that in February, the jobs report released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics noted 235,000 jobs were added, higher than the 200,000 expected by economists. Yet somehow, you know, Trump on his tweets and people who support him are still attributing this to President Trump. But during a CNBC interview, Cohn said that the report was, quote, right exactly where it needed to be. And he even said Trump's team was not the reason. He noted that the jobs that were promised by CEOs who have met with Trump have not yet been created. Can you talk a little bit more about that in terms of the jobs and the plans that uh, Trump has to build America and not send jobs abroad?
1: Well, I definitely would agree with uh, Mr. Cohn because the creation of jobs is coming from a lot of different factors. Bottom line, it's going to come from the decision of hiring managers, and those are going to be based on the budgets that the companies have, and those are going to be projections based on where, again, they believe their company is going to be best positioned in the upcoming economy. So many of those decisions, many of those actions had already taken place, and the fact that you have those jobs coming in January or February or March, or even coming up in April, you're seeing those as a result of past decisions, and we are bringing people online at those points in time. So the decisions come from not just one person and not from the Uh, arguments, as valid as they may be, from one person, the president. Uh, They're also coming from people collectively looking at what the Federal Reserve may be doing, what the market in general, what their industry is doing. And again, those are going to come from different uh, portions of the economy, different sectors, uh, both anywhere from construction to retail uh, to mining even. Okay,
0: okay. And CNBC also reported regarding the Bureau of Labor Statistics jobs report that the weather, the second warmest February in the past 123 years in the United States, helped with the job numbers, citing a boom in construction. What is your thoughts on things like that, like the weather? Does that affect the job numbers, in your opinion?
1: It definitely does. I think I uh, shoveled snow more <laughs> on one day last week than I had done all of the rest of actual winter. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's going to be the same elsewhere. Uh, if we have a blizzard, that's we were warned uh, last week that uh, the markets would be closed and a blizzard being affecting okay. New York, Boston, Philadelphia – why would they, anyone care if they're in Los Angeles or Louisiana uh, that we have a blizzard? Because people who actually work in those industries that are uh, okay. in New York that are going to be financial industries, the f- stock market itself operating at full uh, strength, okay. people being able to get to work, that impacts the movement of the market. So you have to take that with somewhat of a grain of salt if you're not immediately impacted just like how does a fire or an earthquake in California how does that impact us here on the East Coast so it does have an impact but to varying degrees Sure. so the fact that you do have people able to work in February in January where they would normally be postponing that actual work primarily in construction when you're going to be outdoors if they were doing the work in January February And not waiting until March or April, then that's going to give people one look of confidence, but also it's going to change where the numbers would normally be coming in. Okay. So we're advancing that just as we, uh, if you remember back, if you're old enough to the uh, Y2K thing, everyone was buying new computers because they didn't know what was going to happen with the old computers with the change from 1999 to 2000.
0: Yeah, you know, and on March 21st, on Tuesday, the stock market took a tumble. The headlines announced that the Dow fell a drop of more than 1%. Why would 1% be significant?
1: 1% percent's a big number now when you're talking uh, 20,000. Uh, 1% is a much bigger number than when it was at 10,000, when it was at 1,000. So it makes, you know, the significant amount... Uh, is going to be there and what it represents one percent seems very small, but it is a big number now. It's a
0: okay. it's a needle mover. Okay.
1: So it does have a bigger impact numerically than it might have in the past. Okay. And people do watch these things because the stock market is one of those contributing factors to consumer confidence. So even though it's up one day, it's down one day, they seem to add together to be no change people wanna see what is causing those changes.
0: Okay, and articles noted it was the biggest slide of the year since the election. The broader S&P 500 was also down more than 1%, and it was the worst day since September. The NASDAQ, which includes many hot tech stocks such as Apple, Facebook, and Amazon, fell nearly 2%. What did this all mean in terms of the economy?
1: A lot of people look at specific companies, and the new economy as uh, what are going to be somewhat the standard bearers for market uh, sentiment, and your tech companies, especially your Apples, your Googles, where you've seen a lot of run-up in prices over the years, where you see these being, by uh, size of market capitalization, which is the total value of all the stocks traded in the company or held by investors in the company, you're seeing those movements a little bit more critically than you would if we were talking about Apple back in the 80s or the 90s, uh, Google when it was first starting up. So they have a different place in the marketplace now, just like GM, AT&T used to have a different market uh, leading uh, sentiment uh, back in the uh, past decades. So uh, people are looking at those and they're regaging what their sentiment is for their own stocks based on what they see in an Apple, in a Google. Okay. And so what is affecting them may be unique, but it's still going to be based on what are the prospects for Apple selling Apple products, Google selling their services uh, in the future.
0: Okay, What do you think was the reason for the downward slide of the stock indices? And later, it rallied a bit later on in the week.
1: A lot of it is going to be just the news that is impacted uh, and What may be bad news at one point in time is also good news. So um, with the financial sector, it was the fact that you do have a somewhat conservative outlook with where the Federal Reserve thinks that they will be hiking interest rates. And the fact that the Federal Reserve is somewhat giving itself some leeway and uh, saying that we probably do not foresee uh, multiple rate hikes, we see fewer rate hikes this year. That sounds like a good thing, but when people look at what does the Federal Reserve change the rates for, uh, it actually turns out to be somewhat of a negative thing. right? Because the Federal Reserve is trying to, again, fight inflation. So how do you fight inflation? By keeping people from spending, raising interest rates. We'll do that. So you'll have the Federal Reserve saying, well, you probably don't need to raise interest rates. Okay. That goes back to that because we don't see that people will be spending too much, All right. So what does that mean to stocks? That means that we're probably not going to see the revenues or possibly the profits if that's the case. And there you're going to see the stock prices somewhat deep being suffering from those kind of uh, news.
0: Okay. Now, with Janet Yellen, do you think she's good for the economy? Do you support her?
1: Uh, when I was a grad student, I uh, read a lot of her papers, basically uh, uh, had to, but also <laughs> glad that I did. Uh, pretty much I do support what she uh, has done in the past. Okay. Uh, her position now within the Federal Reserve, uh, she has uh, been a nice counterbalance and a very prudent uh, voice uh, within the economy uh, to this point. So far, we haven't had uh, too much uh, pessimism uh, brought about by the timing of any upcoming rate hikes. The fact that everyone agrees that there will be a need for a rate hike, the managing of those has probably been the best uh, course of action that Janet Yellen has done to date.
0: With today's House vote on the repeal of Obamacare, several reports have noted that the stock markets will be tied into the outcome. And if it fails to go through, this could make the stock market jittery. Do you agree with that?
1: On the specific legislation, I would say no. But the fact that the legislation is probably the first test of the confidence and the direction of the Trump uh, presidency, I would say yes. Because you're only going to be as good of a president as the programs, as the legislation, as the policies that you're able to get enacted into law. And so all of the rhetoric, all of the wording that we've seen so far, both through the campaign and uh, after the election, it's only going to go as good as far as the Republican Congress is willing to fight for the policies of the president.
0: I suppose I'm having trouble reconciling what seems to be a superficial criterion in judging leadership, ability to get congressional votes versus what I think leadership truly is about. And in this instance, and in all instances, it's acting, you know, the best interest of the American people. And specifically with the healthcare legislation, for me, that would mean the majority of Americans, people whom you represent are in a better position, getting Coverage for affordable health care to the greatest number of people possible. Why is that not factored like the actual outcome versus the issue of is Trump a good deal maker negotiator? Why is not the actual results of the health care legislation factored into what drives up or down confidence in the market?
1: A lot of that, I believe, remains to be seen. Uh, with how the negotiations, how that leadership is actually achieved. Uh, Again, right now we have a Republican president and a Republican uh, Congress. If you want to go back to uh, Ronald Reagan's administration, he had the Republican presidency, of course, but a Democratic Congress, and many of the policies that Ronald Reagan was trying to achieve, yes, he did have setbacks, but for the most part, we're seen as a greater good and for the greater direction of America. Time will tell if that's going to be the case, and that's going to be the true gauge of the leadership, whether or not that the Trump administration believes that its policies are for the greater good, and that is actually recognized by both the Republican as well as the Democratic members of
0: Congress. Okay. Now, how could some of the other controversies, and if one reads national newspapers, this administration has a plethora of some very divisive news, whether it's an all-time low in its relationship with the press, controversial travel bans, conflicts of interest with his financial holdings, cuts in the budget to research sciences, the arts, and the wall on the Mexico border, how could this not be affecting the stock market and jobs?
1: It may be actually, it may be that we at this point in time would have a much stronger uh, consumer confidence level uh, than we actually are seeing. Okay. And again, that kind of goes back to the weakness of any survey, uh, the weakness of any poll that you uh, may conduct. You're not able to contact and take into consideration everybody's views, but you have a sample, and you have to hope that that is going to be representative, uh, and we may not see that yet. Or we may be seeing that based on people are factoring in what the prospects are of these very divisive uh, actions and these divisive uh, words that we're seeing both sides of Congress, as well as uh, throughout the nation, uh, what they may have. So are we as truly confident as we appear to be, or could we be more confident if we were more uniform across the country with where we wish to be?
0: Yeah. And I'd like to continue to our conversation with tying politics into the economy a bit. And people have argued if you are not supporting the president, you are not supporting America. And I suppose, other than just steadfast ideology, perhaps the economy is what such people are referring to. But is the response that, is there a response that it is not being un American and resulting in the, con- and resulting wishing for the country to fail, if you oppose the president's actions that you do not think are in the best interest of the country, but you still want to support what will be good for the economy, how do you reconcile those two to the listening audience?
1: Well, the fact that we do have Democrats and Republicans, the fact that we do have blacks and whites, the fact that we do have uh, people of Different backgrounds, different races, different creeds. We have all these people that can get together and actually discuss things. We should never, a democracy should never be based on one voice and one sentiment. We should always be willing to listen to opposing views to check ourselves to make sure that we are right. Even in the classroom, I see it. I could be working on an equation on the board, and I could be working out the problem on the board, but if I write down the wrong number because I happen to hit the wrong button on a calculator, if nobody calls me on that from the classroom, if nobody's willing to raise their voice and say, oh, you are not correct, not blatantly saying I'm wrong, but you're not correct with that. Do you want to double check that? then people are going to get the wrong message. People are not going to get the proper information for them to critically evaluate if any policy is the best policy for themselves as well as the country.
0: Well, thank you very much, Thomas Coe, Associate Professor and Chair in the Finance Department at Quinnipiac University. We appreciate having the chance to speak with you.
1: It was my pleasure, Betsy.
0: And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. I'm Betsy Kim on Law, Life, and Culture.